Hi, welcome to the Neurosec podcast where we unite people and organizations to support and advance neurodiverse people in cybersecurity and beyond to make the world more diverse and inclusive. My name is Nathan Chung, and today my special guest is Oliver Betts Richards, apprentice, cybersecurity analyst, and student at the University of Derby. Welcome, Oliver. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Hello. Thank, thank you for inviting me to do this conversation. It's very humbling. I've listened to your episodes and there's a lot of there's a lot of people on there that are trailblazers and like thought leaders in cybersecurity and it's very humbling to be on an episode list with with a lot of with a lot of those people. I'm very grateful yep. for the chance to talk to you. Yep, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's my pleasure too. First thing I'm curious about when I first started college, mainframes were still being used, <laughs> and there were absolutely there were absolutely no courses in cybersecurity. What is it like now uh, to learn cybersecurity in college? I mean, I don't have a comparison to evaluate it against, but I do. In my own experience, there is still a lot of emphasis on fundamentals. I have done classes in networking, programming. Uh, computer science databases that I'm about to do. And there are more advanced skills that we do look at, like digital forensics, network network investigations, those sorts of things. Wow. And so there is a lot of still a lot of emphasis on on fundamental skill. I mean my my program is called cybersecurity, but in our system, it's broken down into modules, and there's there's very few modules that say this is a cybersecurity module. Um, we do classes ethical hacking, for example, nice. but for every but if we do that, but we also do a lot of work on security management as well. So it's about preparing us to think like security professionals as well as hacking. Um, I think, I mean, I'm I've been to college before. I'm a mature student, and you definitely see a difference. You see a lot of people want to expect to come in to do to university and it'd be like 24 seven hacking and it's not, there is, there is, an, a, a, and I think it's a good thing that there's a lot of emphasis placed on fundamental skill. Yes. I also, as an apprentice, you mentioned in the intro that I'm an apprentice. I also work as a security analyst as well. I do what's called a degree apprenticeship. And so 80% of my time is spent in the workplace and 20% of my time is spent studying. Mm. So I'm very lucky to have that as well to help me develop other insights and ways of thinking as a security professional to help me in my classes. Um, I don't know what a programming quote-unquote pure cybersecurity would look like, but as someone that's come from outside of a technical background, it's immensely useful to me to have those fundamental skills as well. Excellent. I rem- remember uh, struggling in college, the long, boring lectures, struggling to pay attention, mm. often falling asleep, not mm. not not having luck dating. <laughs> <laughs> how how are you doing in college, knowing that you're autistic, and do do you get accommodations from the from the university? Yeah, I mean, I thought. I thought about this question a lot and I went to college or university what year am I now in 2007 
the first time and I had no idea I was at whether what whether I experienced issues of mental health or autism or ADHD. I had no idea. I knew so I knew I was desperately unhappy. I knew I was very unwell. I didn't have the vocabulary to point to that. I remember going to um the the university's just for point of reference, I'll I'll refer to it as university. I went to the university's counselling service and um they said I remember the com I remember the response. I don't remember what I said, but I remember a counsellor telling me that I think it's that you expect other people to behave to a standard that you have. I thought that's not that's not a great insight. But I didn't know any better, so I just left that interaction and thought that's where we're at. Um I do remember not being able to concentrate and not being able to focus. I remember not to be able to form a lot of meaningful relationships. I remember burning through a lot of the ones that I did have, friends and um like intimate relationships. Um I mean I do have a couple of friends from that time and I'll trust them with my baby, let alone with my life. That I value very I value very closely. Um very it's very different this time because yes, I know I went into this college experience knowing that I experience issues with my mental health. I've since learned that there is a lot of links between for adult diagnoses of autism and ADHD with prior diagnoses of anxiety and depression. Um, so I'm able to, to, to identify that I need help. You asked um, if there's any if support is available, mm. and I don't know if it was the first time I went because I didn't look for it. But what I do know is um, with whatever, and this will apply to various physical health conditions, mental health conditions, and all the rest of it, There are we have what's called a student wellbeing service. And I'm sure other like British colleges and universities do. Hmm. Um, and they will work with people like me and to identify support needs for studying so what that looks like it that looks like um what, what they call what they call a support plan so for example it can if you need if you're my support plan is based on mental health experiences and autism and those things are entitled me to extra time on assignments um extra amounts of books I can take from the library. So it can range from that to um, extra time and exams. Mm. I, that's the three that stick out to me. And also, if you need it, you can get like access to specialist software nice. to help to help you see, you know, like those blue screens, those apps you can get for blue screens. So, yeah. Um, so there's lots of help available. I think the difficulty is for people to know they need it and how to ask for it. I you know, think that's that's incredible because when people t think about autism, especially in the workplace, there's a focus on the workplace, but almost nobody talks about school and uh, the university. I I think this is very good that 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 you're getting help. Mm. So, colleges have uh, and universities have come a long way. <laughs> since then well it has it has a long way since i went the first time i mean i don't expect they had some 
those services in as good quality the first time I went to college, university. Yeah, I agree. Um, but be that as it may, what I have is very I'm, for, I'm very grateful for. But what I also hope is that people know that they can get it. On the because when you're 18, it's very difficult to know that you need help. Yes, <laughs> yes, I know that feeling. Yep. So it sounds like uh, I was probably going to college even before your first time. So it was probably even worse. Oh, gotcha. There was, pro- there was probably zero mental health services back then. No, no. And especially for young people. Yep. Um, young people very much get a worse deal than adults and they don't get a great deal. Uh, yes. We get a lot of support in Britain, but it's still like it will. I'm sure this will come up, but um, we get a lot of good support, but it, there could still be a lot more. Hmm. Yep, that's a very common theme I hear across my guests in the UK. Mm. So, so next, uh, people who are autistic are often said to be great candidates to work in cybersecurity. How do you feel about cybersecurity, and why did you choose the field? Um, I haven't done a lot of research into that link. Um, you spoke to Kim Crowley and um, Lisa Ventura. I hope I've pronounced their names correctly, um, and they've mm-hmm. gave like really good insights on this so i won't try and top them um because i've not i'll be honest with you i've not over given that a massive amount of thought i do when it comes to how i feel about cybersecurity, it's a pretty broad question it's hard it's a lot of fun yes. it's very very hard and but i love it you know it's very easy to get distracted by like shiny blinking boxes from people that sell you stuff that said it will fix everything. But when you get, when you get into the nuts and bolts of how to make an environment more quote unquote secure, that's what I enjoy doing. Um, I don't know if you know of black Hills information security. Mm, Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And the one quote that always stuck around to me from that John Strand made was that secure, good security is an applied inspired application of the fundamentals Hmm. and that's what that's what i like applying from like fundamental practices to make our environments more secure i got into it because i saw a job posting for the for the the apprentice cybersecurity role it was something i was interested in prior to that but i didn't have a technical background Hmm. i've never worked this is the only like technical role i've ever worked in I was an IT project. I was, a, I was an IT project management before that, so I had interactions with IT and with engineers and analysts and things, but I wasn't one of them. Um, and with the apprenticeship, I was very fortunate to see that because that gave me a window into the cybersecurity field that I would never have had, um, and I've become more fascinated with it as I've moved along. It wasn't. I don't want to sell it as like destiny has been fulfilled because mm. life, I didn't think life works like that. But I saw a posting. It, I knew it was something I thought about. I knew it was something I was interested in, but didn't quite give it enough focus because I never had the confidence that I'd be able to get an opportunity to use it. Mm. And I saw that and was like, I need to apply for this. And I was very fortunate to be able to secure that position. Mm-hmm. And that was like, you're in our 2021 now. So yeah three years ago i started 2018 so um i was very fortunate to have that 
but it's, but it's hard. It's it's hard when it is hard when you come from when you're working with people that know a lot that know a lot more than you do. But we get there. Yep, we do. And at the same time, in my experience, no one person knows everything. And if, even if they did, life be quite boring. Oh, <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> and we're all constantly learning. Absolutely. So uh, I'm curious. Uh, what, out of all your studies in cybersecurity, is there any particular area that interests you most? It's one thing we haven't looked at in our studies. I don't know if we ever if we will because I've not. I don't know what the upcoming things I will learn. But one of the things the sort of area within cybersecurity of two that interests me is identity and access management. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by the idea that identity being that, that entry point into the organization for malicious actors and as well as end users. And I think over the last few years, I've found myself more in the sort of blue team camp. Mm. I'm quite happy in defensive security. And I think my skills align with that. Um, most of my business career, like business career has been spent as a user. So it's also quite comfortable for me to analyze and assess identity-related problems and challenges from the perspective of a user as well. Mm. So I don't find myself locked into positions of being focused only on the security and not on the way in which I hate the word user, but users in, interact with the interact with the system. Yep, and you brought up a good point because one misperception, especially in cybersecurity, is people think they just first thing they come to mind is hacking. So people, a lot of people, they think cybersecurity is only hacking, but no, there's just so many, 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 many fields. Mm. Like he's described the IAM. There's blue team, red team, but there's mm. also more like even things like privacy mm. or even even helping with the uh, in uh, forensic, there's just so many areas which people they, they often don't know about that for some reason, or even AI. Because I know a friend of mine, she does AI and she uses that to create AI algorithm to detect security ends. And just there's just so many different fields. It's- oh man, man, life. It, the way I'll describe my university studies is the same way as I've sort of my mentor described to me. So you're an inch deep and a mile wide. Yes, yes. There's so many things. And I'm the sort of person that can get sort of hamstrung by wanting to know about lots of things and then not actually going anywhere. So I've focused myself, I focus a lot on identity now because it is something that I'm genuinely interested in. Mm. I also really enjoy doing um, user awareness. Yep, that's important to you. I've got into that. Um, by default, really, I don't know how it happened, but I've, I'm very fortunate to have a colleague in my department who's also very passionate about that. So I've done training with um, customers, like our internal customers. I've done them with our students. Really, yes, I've done one session for students. So and getting those messages on there, how people can make their own digital experience more secure. Mm-hmm. I love that. I really do yep. enjoy doing it. Yep. That is definitely needed too, because technology is great and all, but we, the humans, we we got to be the conduit. <laughs> yeah, share the knowledge. Yep, share the knowledge. And the next topic, the, I saw that you passed the Azure Fundamentals exam last month. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Cloud security is also a very big area that does not get enough attention because I, 
And I saw that you did an Azure Sentinel proof of concept last year. Uh, that is really exciting because that's a very powerful piece of technology. What was it like for you to work with Azure? Um, I enjoy working with Azure. And I'm in the process of setting up um, a lab at home so I can work on it more. Um, Microsoft offered some free training like last year. And to be fair, Microsoft have done like, some great offers for people that are in, seeking jobs and training as well during the pandemic. They've done a lot of work on that. But I took, I saw the course. It was a couple, like 15 hour course. So over two days, did that. I wasn't that, because I had a really bad hand injury at the time. So it was like trying to take my, my brain took over a little bit. And then did the exam. It was relatively straightforward, but it was at my level. So it's given me a lot of food for thought and certainly worked my appetite to do more. I love what I really enjoy working with Azure. Um, the pop, the piece of content went well. We had we had a decent consultancy work team work with us, and what what I find with these exercises though is that they'll show us that something works, which is fine. It's very straightforward to get Sentinel working. You can do it in a couple of minutes and get it doing something. Um, the challenge is actually is actually use that to generate some meaningful security benefits, and that takes work. Um, and in proof of and in, in the scope in the within the scope of proof of concepts, we don't always get to do that. Mm. So, I'm working on a small central imp- implementation because there's only me there's only me doing it with support from with support from other members of my team. Um, it's, it will start small, and it will be deliberately so. I would like to scale it up, but that depends on our resources. Mm. Um, it, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to test it out at home first to get it built. I have a small workspace built up so I can test it out and play with it. But I genuinely think we can, as my team and my department can get some meaningful use out of it, some insight into some of the threats that we're facing. It, It won't be all of them. And the challenge there is managing expectations because it, like we can't look at all of them. We haven't got the resource for that. Hmm. But as a purely from a professional point of view, it's exciting to get to play with those things and, and develop them. You brought up a good point. I think that's why I like cybersecurity as well is just the fun of like setting up a lab and playing around with these technologies. It it's like being a kid in a playground almost. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, really exciting. It's exciting, and it's. I mean, I had a conversation with this on someone on Twitter. I think it was before before Christmas. No, it was during a um, a BHS training course um, some time ago. And it is in cybersecurity. I've got a lot to learn. I know that, and I have a, I have a lot of demands on my time outside of work. And it is it is challenging to put all those things in place to actually commit the time to learning, and which is why I'm trying to sort of manage what i focus on because i could just try and set up a lab and look at everything i can't do that i don't have the prior the ability to prioritize that amount of time as much as i would like to yes yes i know that feeling and also i think one thing i personally struggle with is like it's like going down rabbit hole like mm. yes these technologies are great but you can literally lose yourself and oh for and, sure in in all this and next you know oh wait it's morning <laughs> yeah yeah for sure Yep. So uh, 
what are your plans for after college? Like as, as you graduate from college, do you have any career goals or anything you want to focus on? Um, I haven't got, I've got plans. I would like to gain more experience with server technologies and cloud and cloud technologies. So like, as a basic example, like Active Directory and Azure Active Directory. And I want to enhance my skill set as a I am defender. That's what I want to do. I don't have any specific roles in mind. And someone asked someone else asked me, it was like you could you learn Azure AD to work up to be say an identity identity architect. I don't I'm not quite there yet with where I want that to be, but I want I'm comfortable in um how to put it in my role as a defender and I want to enhance those skills because mm-hmm. I've got a long way to go on that. Um, and just graduating won't mean to me that I'm an expert or I'm anywhere close to that. There's always something to learn. The only thing I know that I don't want to do is to be in management, and that's not to deride management. I know there's a lot of jokes about that. I just It's just not something I'm comfortable with. So as for, as far as things I know I don't want to do, and I feel quite comfortable with the fact that I know there's things I don't want to do so I don't end up expending energy on something I don't want to do. Um, and you brought, you brought up a really good topic because I talk about this a lot in my, uh, some of the other discussions because some people who are autistic like us, we, we often struggle with social interactions. So mm. management is not always our cup of tea, so to speak. Mm. But at the same time, it's not, it's not for everyone. It's like, there are people who are autistic who can succeed in the manager role, but absolutely, I, me personally, I don't want it. No, I'm. I know my limitations. I've done a lot. I've had a lot of help, and a lot of work to understand my limitations, and I know that being in a position to affect somebody's welfare, that I'm, and understand those needs, that's a challenge for me, and it's not on a note. I'm. I genuinely believe if I take that, it wouldn't be for someone else's benefit and not mm. least mine. And the most important thing is for the pe- for people's welfare. And I'm not convinced that that would be something that I have a lot of skills in. And I don't feel bad about that. I just know that I don't want to try it. So I don't. And that's a very good point too, because often being autistic, there's a social stigma. It's like, I mean, mm. When we can't get along with people, people think it's a big negative. But on the flip side, if we're so focused on a technical, we can be damn good at our jobs. <laughs> yeah, I think, it, I mean, I've read, I read a lot that people that are autistic or autistic people, depending on how you, or whatever pronouns you want to use, um, don't I struggle with empathizing. I find that to be complete nonsense. Yes, um, I, totally I agree. I, there is, I've come across recently the concept of cognitive empathy, which is something that many autistic people struggle with because it's um, like the sort of base, the fundamentals of understanding why someone else might feel a certain way. I struggle mm-hmm. with that. So with friends or family, I, I can understand when someone's upset. I can understand when someone might need help. And I genuinely want that, but it's difficult to understand why someone is upset. And there's a different, and there's a spectrum of em- empathy and I don't, I'm not an expert in it, so I'm not going to profess any gr- like groundbreaking knowledge. I'm working with a therapist that explains this to me because we had the very same conversation. People that have autism can empathize. It may not be the same, but I find it 
insulting. Obviously, because you're autistic, you can't empathize with people. Mm-hmm. I think that's outrageous. Yep, I totally agree with you there. So, uh, I myself, I self-diagnosed that I have autism about three, four years ago. Mm. And uh, when did you first find out you're autistic or even mm. suspect that you're autistic? Mm. Right. I found out I was autistic 18 months ago. It is a difficult story. I'm happy to tell it. It may take some time. So, But I've experienced anxiety and depression since I was 15. Um, and those issues, um, the, the symptoms that come with that um, have contributed to me destroying more friendships and relationships that I can imagine. Um, I've been a challenging employee and still can be sometimes. And I make that um, made a lot of bad life choices. Um, but I never understood that I was anything quote unquote wrong. I never understood that I was depressed. I never understood mm. that most social interactions make like fill me with anxiety. I didn't know that. I just knew I was unwell and uh, unhappy. So I never had the vocabulary to do that. I've been mm. I went to see my doc I went to see a doctor many, many years ago and she's and she wasn't dismissive. I don't remember the interaction very well, but I remember saying I remember giving up because I would want to take a blood test. I'm like, I want help. I don't really I don't know. It might have helped. I don't know, but it didn't feel like it. I was never explained why a blood test would help me. Um, so that just carried on, and I was making bad choice after bad choice. I met my partner, who's now my wife, and I think subconsciously, I thought that those problems would just go away. You know, you find that something different, and it's like, whoa, I'm not broken after all. Someone wants to spend their time with me, so yeah, everything's fine. And then I found that relationship and I thought that would be the panacea. It wasn't. I was still as anxious and depressed as I always was. I still had a lot of toxic personality traits and behaviors. I still had them. I was able to mask them a bit better because I had that confident, a bit more confidence. But um, it felt like I was always finding new ways to mask. My wife, my wife, so is a mental health nurse, and she, for, she's an immense amount of patience for me. Um, and but it wasn't until I met her that I understood that there's a vocabulary. I mentioned mm-hmm. vocabulary a few times, a vocabulary for people to use to access services in the same way as you use keywords to find something in a, in a sim solution. You know, so what GPs, what we call like general practitioners, doctors, what they hear and go ah. This person needs this help. Um, so I was able to get some support. I had I had time with a therapist. Didn't really engage with it as much as I wanted. I should have done. Um, and the symptoms of the career uh, continued. I mean, they manifested until my marriage also almost fell apart in in spectacular pieces, and. I won't lie, I find myself experiencing quite dark thoughts. Mm, and then I, I, I know that feeling. And I saw, I went to see another therapist and we didn't get on. And that ended. And I saw a different one and that made a complaint. And because um, I felt that the, the therapist discharged me too promptly. 
I said, we're, we're not talking anymore. So I complained, and they said, would you want to see if we've got someone else that you can talk to? There's a student. Do you mind that? Like, absolutely not. And it was only one off-chance conversation with her. So we're talking to early 2019, two years ago. Um, and she said, have you ever have you ever considered that you might be autistic? I was like, oh. I was like, no. So she said, well, I've got this questionnaire. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, AQ50. So like 50 questions to determine how, <laughs> yes, indeed. how autistic, if you're autistic or not, and how, how much so. And um, I did that, and it was like 33. I was like, okay. Is that good, bad? And she's like, well, it's quite high. Um, so I'm, I'm, she's like, she couldn't die. It's not her skill. It's not her realm to diagnose, but she made a referral. So that was two years ago. Um, I only just had that assessment. But in that time, I was very lucky that my student wellbeing service that I mentioned earlier offer um, educate a service for with an education psychologists. Mm, interesting. So I was able to, for like £50, which is not a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, if you're an undergraduate student, it probably is. So I'm very, yes. But yeah, it is. I'm very privileged to be able to, to have done that. And we did this, we chat, we spoke for about an hour. He said, yeah, you, you, I'm very, we'll give you that, I'm, we'll di- I will diagnose you with autism, autism spectrum disorder. So, and then I started getting help from my college and university and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that waiting list, that waiting list was two years. I only had, the, years. I had the assessment. It's a long time. I yeah, only had an assessment. I only had um, an assessment, I think it was just before Christmas. Yeah, it was just before Christmas, an assessment. So almost two years. So it was just under, but the therapist I was speaking to said it will take around two years, and it probably did about two weeks short of that. It's a long time. Um, A long time in which you can make up your own conclusions about anything. So, But I was fortunate to have another diagnosis, like, was a little bit less formal to help me make sense of it. And during that assessment, a similar experience happened. The assessor was like, um, have you ever considered ADHD? Like, no. Because mm-hmm. I, only, I only know stereotypes of ADHD. And that's what I never thought of before. And I said, well, we did, a little quick, we did a little quick test there. And she was like, oh, yeah, we'll do your referral for that as well. I'm like, cool. Um, but it's been a long journey to find that and get that knowledge. But and I think if people get that help earlier and are then not misdiagnosed, but aren't diagnosed with like anxiety and depression, one really you just could be just so upset and destroyed by masking all the time. Yes, and that would make you anxious and tired. And you, yes. look, you look at the assessments for anxiety and depression, and are you irritable? Probably. Are you tired? Well, pretty, a lot of the time. <laughs> but it it takes a long time for uh, a long time for young people to get that help. I have a friend whose daughter waited over two years. Again, someone in the wow. formative formative years of their life waiting two years. 
have been told no, 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 no. That's insane. <laughs> and, this, and she's like the loveliest, one of the loveliest people I've ever met. And she didn't get that support. I'm somewhat surprised because a lot of the testing is just a questionnaire and a lot of the questionnaires you can find off the internet. I'm surprised they don't fast track that, just felt this questionnaire online, sent it to, it to the It would be helpful. It would be helpful. That would be a lot faster. <laughs> there, must, there must be ways to make that more, ex- to exploit that, yes. Yep. We should probably, yeah, I, I, we should probably research into that. I'm, I'm very curious. And it's really good that you've found out because Sadly, what 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 often happens, especially for uh, females, is they go through their lives not knowing, and they just suffer, mm. and they just have all the mm. bad stuff happen to them, and they just wonder why, what's wrong with me, and that's yeah. a tragedy. It is. So, it's, so it's, it's great that you got you got help, and a big challenge, especially for me sometimes, is reminding myself that not just myself, but people like us, and we are not broken. We are not broken. We're, we're different, but we are not broken. What 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 are your greatest challenges day to day, and how do you cope? Well, I'm sorry you. I'm sorry that. I'm sorry that you feel that way. I mean, no one should have to experience that. So, and everyone deserves compassion. Yes. I mean, the biggest challenge I face day to day is masking, and I've got. A, I'm getting better at that, but. Masking is by a long stretch the biggest challenge. It is incredibly exhausting and anxiety provoking to pretend to be what other people, for no fault of their own, might expect of you. You know, some people might expect things maliciously, but I kind of try to see that people are trying their best. And, but there is, for better or worse, there are a set of standards in any workplace or any. Mm organization or any group that the there is a quote-unquote normal there is a there is a there is a baseline of behavior that people are deemed to be acceptable and trying to conform to that is hard it is hard and it just feels like you're pretending to be something you're not Yes, and I did that for many years without even knowing that I was doing it. So, and it just the toll, the mental toll, the mental load of that is just immense. Yes, and I genuinely wish people didn't have to experience that. Yeah, um, it's always another challenge, particularly as employees, to engage with people when, again, it's not for their own own fault. It's just how people how people like standard ways of communication, but not understanding what people mean. Especially with not nonverbal communication, I can't deal with that very well at all. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I prefer it when people are up front with me if I've done something wrong or mm-hmm. right or things that are left unsaid make it very easy to fill in the blanks of something negative. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I cope? That's a, uh, and for many years, not very well. I've, I've touched on that before. For many years, not very well. But it might sound sort of trite or flippant, but I just try and embrace my needs and my to the best of my ability and to embrace the fact that I need them and embrace what I can offer to the best of my ability. Um, I'm working with a 
a therapist right now where we're been putting working on like like physical and emotional health toolkits and coping strategies for mm-hmm. auditory and visual sensitivity challenges and also to quite granular levels of routines so for example using ta- using um app based to-do lists to mm, yes. for me to say when i wake up in the morning these are the things that need to be done before i can start before i start work so my are my animals fed or you know, have i got things ready for my child's nursery mm. and the same the night the night before so i try so ways of breaking quite abstract things are are you ready for work or are you ready for school into quite micro man- micro steps? Mm, yes. Because I just forget. It's I, I I try not to. I'd put and I'd use reminders and to-do lists to the nth degree now because one of the biggest challenge one of the biggest impacts I have on people is forgetting to do stuff. <laughs> yes. I'll say I'll do something and then it will never happen and then people get justifiably frustrated. So if I say something, I'll do something, I'll try to write it down immediately. Or yep. put so I can, or try and take time to assess whether it's realistic. But if I commit to something, I make sure I write it down because with reminders, otherwise I will forget, and that just makes life even more difficult. Um, I'm also getting help from. Well, I've mentioned it before. Um, an amazing therapist. She's a cognitive behavioural therapist. So, and I work with her because I had quite a serious hand injury. Uh, mm. late last year and part of the service that they offer for hand surgery patients is access to a therapist i just so happened to choose one of two that work with young people who are autistic mm. so i really got lucky there so we've helped so she helps me to challenge uh, help me to work with challenges around autism and like anxiety but it, i haven't it's not. I'm not an expert. I'm. I fail. I try things, and they don't always go well. But I think in the main, my main strategy is to is to try and use technology the best I can to compensate for the way in which I know my symptoms impact on other people. Hmm. And that's a good point. And I like that you brought up earlier about masking. Mm. I, I I liken it to. To like, it's like wearing a heavy, having to wear a suit that's too heavy for you each day. Like, <laughs> it's hard to yeah. keep it on. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. <laughs> and also, from a computer point of view, it's masking is it's very similar to software virtualization. Like, you're not, you don't have the oh. hardware to run it, and so, so eventually, your CPU gets exhausted and crash. <laughs> I've never thought about that. That's a That's a <laughs> yeah. That's I, a really I, good analogy. I, I, never I ran a. VMware before that's that's a uh, <laughs> VMware workstation on your computer is not ideal and that's a really good example of it. It's like your your home computer can run it, but it's not designed to run it. So you can run it for a short period of time, but ideally you want to run something like in a cloud or on a dedicated hypervisor where it's built yeah. for it. <laughs> so that's yeah. a one analogy. That's a really good way of putting it. And uh, I'm just curious, so how 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 have you coped? Uh, with your condition during this time of COVID, um, a, lot of people, a lot of people tend to suffer. But how, how are you doing? Um, well, I'm doing all right. I mean, I'm very 
fortunate to have a job that enabled me to work at home. I have not, f- and it that pays well. And I'm very fortunate that that's across my family. I'm very fortunate that I haven't experienced a lot of sort of quite severe um for example financial pressures or health pressures that a lot of people have and i'm very grateful for that that being said it has come with challenges i mean i'm used to have routines for me are quite important so my baby was born on february the 14th i went back to work a month later mm-hmm. and then a week later, a week and a half later, I can't remember, was told, oh, you're going home now. Great. So now I'm sitting there thinking, well, all these things that bother me or that I struggle with or like interruptions and background noise and not and seeing visual interactions that I can't understand, they've all gone away. This, this This on the surface sounds amazing. But it's just been replaced with different challenges. So now I can't see anybody at all unless on a video call. So those things that go unsaid or unseen, they're, they're still, it still happens. Hmm. So I still experience a lot of those same challenges. I mean, I've been homeschooling my son for since, the, since for a lot of the time since March. So that's... It's not like working at home in the sense that you choose to work remotely and you can just take yourself for a few hours a day and just concentrate. Um, my wife is at home with our baby who has needs. Hmm. So it was just replace it felt like replacing one set of distractions for another. But yes. I can't take Indeed. I can't it can't go unsaid that I'm very blessed to have had that experience where a lot of people I know face a lot more hardship than i have yes and i'm very grateful for that it's incredible and congratulations on your new kid thank that you is very exciting thank you and you've talked about it just seems like in the uk you get you get more help compared to the us we've talked about that already but like to give an example like when i was growing up mm. i think they didn't in the us they didn't even know what the mental health conditions such as autism, where even though they did, they it wasn't that widespread. There wasn't much help available for me. Mm. But I'm happy you got a lot of help, and you you and you are supported. So I'm really happy with that. Thank you. Uh, who who are you most grateful to for supporting you in your on your journey? Um. Well, you, just before I touch on that, the, the we do have. Our, our healthcare system in the UK is is fundamentally quite good. It still has its challenges. Um, waiting two years for a referral from a referral is a long time. And if you can, like in the in the US, if you if you pay, obviously you have to. But if I chose and had the resources to pay, that would have been a lot quicker. Um, that is access. Um, I'm very grateful for the input I've had from professionals because while it has taken time, that time um, 
the output of that has been good, uh, and I've a, and a lot of input from that. But more than anything, I'm grateful to my family. My family, my wife and children have had, have experienced a lot of discomfort and hardship as a result of the impacts of my symptoms or behaviors, call it what you will. I'm responsible for them, but they've had a lot of hardship to deal with as a result of that. So I'm, and I'm very grateful for that support. Um, the friend, my friends, you know, I've been able to talk to about this. They've all been very supportive and that's the same on Twitter as well. Like people like yourself, there's a lot of people on Twitter that are very supportive of neurodivergent mm. things like us. Um, my animals, I have two cats and a dog and they are a very great source of comfort for me. They provide no emotional support whatsoever, but they're there and they provide a lot of support in ways that people can't. Mm. Um, so, I mean, as an, as, an, as an aside, I spoke to my mother about this. She said that they asked about, um, she said, why did they not pick this up before? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, we, we talked about this with doctors when you was about five or six. And I was like, well, and the more I thought about it, it's like, well, people probably didn't know as much about autism. Yes, and they that's do true. So I could speak to a professional now who probably has a lot more experience than anyone you would have spoke to 30 years, almost 30 years ago. Um, but I'm very grateful that I've had the help I have when I've had it. It would be, it would be great if I'd have known these things a lot many years ago, hmm. but I know them now and I'm very grateful for that. Yep. In some ways, it's like being reborn almost. <laughs> oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's, I feel the same way. Next question, the, can you tell me uh, about a defining moment that has changed your life? Mm. Oh, God, at the, risk, at the risk of being repetitious, that was it. Okay, no that was it. That was it. There have been many moments in my life that some have been good, some have been not so good, some have been downright atrocious that I've learned things from and it's defined things for me. But an, an autism the autism diagnosis and that process of going from referral to diagnosis has helped me understand how I view the world and how I understand the world and how I understand my place in it and my identity in ways I never had before. So those kind of fundamental building blocks that I look at my stepson, for example, he has all of those. He's one of the most social people I know. Um, and I love that about him. Um, I don't have those skills. I, never, I probably never will, but I appreciate them. And those fundamental building blocks that you have in your formative years of how to relate to the world, how to relate to other people, I never had that. So it it was quite earth-shattering to understand that. I'm reading a book called – this is going to sound really, really rubbish, but I forget the title of it um, – that's about adult diagnosis. I will just get it. Um, Reaffirmation by by Reese Finley. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, never. Um, it's about it's a it's a British guy 
He's already a couple of chapters in, but it's about his journey from it to understand himself as a neurodivergent person. And the more I read these stories and talk to people like you, these this I can't think of anything that's defined my life more than this. That's that's changed my life more than this. Is that the book written by uh, Reese Finley? Yeah. Oh, I found it Amazon. Excellent. Yeah, I think. You have a very good point, though. I think despite all the, tr- the struggles through my life, I think what gives me peace is mm. reading stories like that, knowing that mm. like people like you and me, we're not alone. There are tons of other people. And if you look mm. at, even in history, there are just a ton of people who are, how, who are autistic or who are probably autistic, even like Mozart, like, Mm. A lot of these famous people could not probably could not have done all these world-changing uh, events or inventions mm. or everything they did if they were not autistic kind of around the spectrum. Yeah. I think that also gives me peace and that kind of changes the mindset. It's like, no, we're not broken. We're different. Absolutely. And we can be extraordinary. Yeah. We can be extraordinary just like anybody else. We can yes. be if we wanted to be, we cannot be unextraordinary as anybody else. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, there's no, it does being on one end of that neurodivergency sort of line doesn't make you more or less extraordinary. I mean, but you should have the right same chances to reach whatever level of extraordinary you want. Yes. Yes, indeed. And, uh, the, uh my last question is mm. outside of cybersecurity, what else are you passionate about? <laughs> Well, I have two children. I have an eleven-month-old baby. I'm more passionate than anything about sleep. I don't get a lot of that, but uh, yeah. but, see, yeah, but, see, but seriously though, I mean, I mentioned before I came to cybersecurity quite and IT in general quite late in the game for me. So I have a lot of I feel I have a lot of catching up to do. It is hard to use what um, time I have away from work and away from study, away from my family to prioritize things other than security so well even if that's time spent on twitter it's um i'll learn something so i try and build like use my interest other things i'm passionate around doing that i mean i'm Mm. i love the most important thing for me is to have time with my family and and especially time outdoors especially during time when we're like extremely restricted of where we can go time and outdoors is phenomenally important to me. Yes. Um, I like, I like, um, professional wrestling. I love, um, I love, um, metal music. I love having those things. I love reading. I love, but I try, um, and mix, try and mix a lot of things that are not work related or security related, in a way where I can combine the two because I need, I like to learn, but I also need to switch off. Yes. Yes, indeed. It's, in, it's important to have time to yeah, switch off and relax and give your brain time to just rest and do their yeah. things. And I, I love, I'm quite, I quite happily sit and watch comedies on TV. <laughs> yes. That just, helps. just because, just because I don't, sometimes I feel lazy and don't want to do stuff, but I'm, yep. I know not, that feeling. I'm, I don't, I, frequent a gym or anything like that i don't enjoy that but i do like listen to music i do like um 
<laughs> it's like more than anything, I just want to be outdoors, and that's what yes. I miss. That's how I didn't. That's how it, COVID has impacted me. When I think I want to be outdoors. Oh yes, that's right. I'm, and I'm reminded that UK just went back to lockdown again. So I, I can imagine my, it's very mm. hard. Oh yeah, it. I won't go on yep. about that. Yeah, me, me, yeah, we should. We should not. Yeah, comment on it, the it, it, political it, situation. But yeah, but it, 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 it's the, out, the outcomes have been challenging. Yeah. Yep. Yep, and I. And I totally feel, feel your pain. Yep, I, I like being out outdoors too on occasion. Because mm. being being indoors, working from home is great and all, but it does get restricting after a while mm. and boring. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And thank you, Oliver, for sharing your incredible story. I, I really enjoyed it. It it provides me and all, all my listeners an, another story in that, again, emphasizes that we're not alone. We're but we were very similar, very similar. <laughs> Thank you for your time. I'm like I say, you've had some incredible people on here. So to be amongst that company is incredibly humbling, and I'm very grateful for your time and the opportunity to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. And another thing to point out is sometimes even what I have is it's easy to think, oh, I'm down the bomb. Look at all these extraordinary people. But what I learned. I make a list. I try to make a list every at the end of every year of all my everything I've done. Yeah. So it's that's it's, really it's, cool. easy to, it's easy to think, wow, look at all these CISO, look at all these extraordinary people <laughs> doing extraordinary thing. But the list reminds me that I myself I I've done a lot, and mm. a lot of the same people cannot have done all those things I've done. So yeah. that I've, that it's kind of like a sort of reaffirmation of myself, even on those great. dark days. On those dark mm. days where depression kicks mm. in, yeah. it's easy to think like to look no to to not to be in a dark place. Yeah, it, it, and every person's effort is valid. And yes, to find that and, to find that value in what you do. That, yes, that's great for you. And that's that's an amazing idea. Yep, and we all need it sometimes. And mm. again, thank you, Oliver. Your story just so incredible, and it it warms my heart too. Especially on. These, these cold winners. <laughs> and <laughs> thank you, you so and, much. Uh, thank you, everyone, for for, for listening. And, and uh, for the listeners out there, please feel free to check out my other episodes. And thank you again, Oliver. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. <laughs>